Are you ready for the time of your life? Well, of course you are. This podcast is all about it. That is literally what we do on that song from that movie. to you 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 thank you for joining that song from that movie the journey for the very best and worst of movie songs i am your spaghetti arms host dietrich and joining us is the watermelon which baby carried alex yeah spoiler alert for my closing uh line but yeah already taken his closing line You've got the entire episode to find something new. Nope. <laughs> Sticking with it. All right, fair enough. I don't do. Th- I don't do things that way. <laughs> and completing the lineup is the absolutely gorgeous man who always does the last dance of the season. Ben, no sarcasm. I I won't. No, I've won a dancing competition in my life. No, really? I did. <laughs> yeah, I was about six. It was at Hollywell Bay in Cornwall, and it was based on a clapometer. I had a lot of family. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say it was. It certainly wasn't when we uh, danced to uh, the Bill Bob the Builder member. <laughs> Bob the Builder. Yep. We did not win. I, I think we cl- we always claimed we came fourth, but there was never a fourth prize. And there was only three competitors. We went yes. down incredibly well with the reception stage to one. year two bracket. Yeah, the key stage did, one. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think they got a vote. <laughs> <laughs> they weren't allowed to vote. No, it was only it was only it was only key stage two. It's not fair. Yeah, and yeah. Mrs. Weinberg. Shout out to Mrs. Weinberg. I'm sure you're listening. Mrs. Weinberg sounds like a South Park character, doesn't it? (laughs) But she was real. Okay, I say it's been a while. Been a while! So here we go. I would like to know in the past fortnight, what have you been watching? Cha-cha-cha! Well, I have watched two musicals, actually. Go on, go on. I've watched Top Hat. Great for musicals. It's intellectual. <laughs> that's good. So yeah, I watched Top Hat and also Newsies. Have either of you just seen Newsies? Before? Newsies? I no, that's that's a new one for me. No, I've not heard of that one. Newsies. So it's obviously Top Hat is like a classic uh, of the uh, the genre from the uh, sort of I want to say thirties. Something yeah, it's thirties. Yeah. It's quite old. You know, Fred Astaire, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah, Newsies. <laughs> so there's a there's quite a, a popular podcast called You're Wrong About, which is I don't know, a lot of people like. And the host on it always talks about this musical Newsies, which is, uh, it's a Disney film. It's from the early 90s, I think 92, 91, 92. And it stars a very young or a 17 year old Christian Bale in his first role. Wow. And it is about the newspaper boy strikes of the early 1900s. How did Christian Bale like get into the business then? Because he's what is he? What is he Welsh or English? What is he? Well, he was he was born in Wales, but I think his parents or his, his dad or something was like a travelling circus performer. Oh wow! I think he moved to America with his sister, and this was his first ever role, I think. Uh, but yeah. I think he was. I think he he trained as a ballet dancer. I mean, we were looking on the Christian Bale. Like, yes. As, well, as, he's as, in. As, he was in Empire of the Sun, wasn't he? Which is what late eighties. Which is a. Sp- Spielberg oh yes, film? that would have been yes, yes. Which is that would have been his first. That's so, uh, yeah. I, yeah. I always wondered like when with like well, if any kid that's in a movie, I'm like either your parents are incredibly pushy or in the biz. <laughs> yeah, but I think they were. I think they were in the biz with inverted commas. I don't think they were like in the biz. Um, but yes, yeah, so it's got an interesting uh, 
background. It's it's not it's not an amazing film, but it's also not it's kind of fun. It doesn't sound it. <laughs> it's on Disney Plus if you want to check it out. But it's, I think on Disney Plus it's called The News Boys. I think it was a different name. The, <laughs> the News Boys. <laughs> but it's funny because it's, it's called The News Boys. But then it's like two seconds into the film, there's like a flash card that just says Newsies. <laughs> Wonder why they changed it. Yeah, I don't know why. As well, Christian Bale's puts on this like Brooklyn accent, and it's it's oh, something dear. you gotta you've gotta hear to believe. He learnt the accents later in his life. Well, I think everything has just been an adaptation of this one. I think this was the first, and like everything else, <laughs> really? just, yeah, just every single one chipping away until they got okay. Got to do some Batman. You're walking around like, etc. What have I watched? I've not been to the cinema in a while. I've, mainly horror films, because my wife likes horror. I've watched The Black Phone, which has Ethan Hawke in it. I don't know why it has Ethan Hawke in it, because he wears a mask all the way through. <laughs> Seems the waste of a, of a name. But it's actually a decent film. And then the film Smile, if you saw many posters on buses about six months ago, there's a lot for a film called Smile. Yeah, it was a trailer before every film for like six months. Yeah, uh, a film I thought was going to be shocking. Um, turned out it was slightly more interesting than that. Okay. I mean, there's always a weird bar for horror films. I feel like every so often you get an incredibly, insanely good one, and then everything else just seems absolutely <laughs> shocking by comparison. There's no real middle ground, I feel, often. It's either like you're just a slasher gore flick, or you have a point, uh, and not many of them do. It's been a while since we recorded, so I've been to the cinema twice. I managed to, I managed to fit in wow, two no. full trips. Can you believe it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen Guardians of the Galaxy Volume mm-hmm. 3 and Fast mm-hmm. X, one of which made me cry. Obviously ooh, Fast ooh. X. <laughs> I hope it wasn't Fast X. No, I mean, I, I've heard I've heard a lot of people crying in Guardians of the Galaxy 3. I don't, I don't know the context. Animal cruelty. Yeah, it's, it's all animal cruelty related. Apparently lots of angry people saying there should have been more warnings that there's animal cruelty in this film. It, it is by far the most detestable okay. villain they've ever had in Marvel. But as soon as you start being cruel to animals, it's it's uh, it's almost like a uh, like a shortcut to having a, an evil villain. I'm surprised they've not tried that before with terrible writing. It's like, if you punch a kitten in the opening scene, people aren't going to like you. <laughs> yeah, not save the cat, kill the cat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Andy Lau, 8 out of 10. Eight tiers out of ten, yeah. Nice. I thought Guardians was really good. Um, I would say that it was completely unaffected by the downturn of the MCU recently. It always kind of has, oh. has, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Fast X, return to form, just saying. Oh, good <laughs> one. Right, let's move on. <laughs> return to form. <laughs> what is a return form? to form? What form? I mean, Fast Five is one of the greatest action films ever made. Is that the one with the long runway? It's a very, it's a very long No, that's, that's six. Which, which is the one where he kind of like jumps out of the car like across like a dual carriageway bridge on the... That's six that's again. The, that's the last one I think I've saw. I saw. That's where Alex gave it up. You didn't watch, you didn't watch yeah. Seven. You haven't watched Furious I, Seven. Did oh. I go to the cinema to see Alex, Six with Alex. you, D? I feel like a mile. Yeah. I, I, I recall yeah. you like having a big shocked reaction to the uh, the reveal <laughs> at the end when Jason Statham <laughs> yes. appeared. Oh yeah, like yeah, Alex. because it was, a, like it, was a, it was a connection back to Tokyo Drift, wasn't it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> What's the name of the Fast and Furious universe? Fast and the Fury Furious universe, Fury universe, universe. That sounds like you're a furry. Like, is your first sonar in the furiverse? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Let's leave that. Let's leave that topic. So, seeing as she's like the wind, it's appearing on every advert in the UK at the moment. <laughs> For the past twenty years, it has been. Uh, we was we're, we've been inspired to talk about all things dirty dancing. So, to find out what was happening in the world when the movie came out. Ooh. 
time for some history. History. Yes, we are in October 1987. There was big news, guys. Big news. England changed for the better. Revolutionized. The first ever Ikea came. Ooh, that is quite big. Warrington. Warrington. Why, of all places, Warrington? <laughs> Nairchester Zoo? Mm-hmm. Can make a day trip of it? Good motorway access. <laughs> is that it? To be fair, they were building. Where's the M- Where's the M40? Because that was the, that was, there was a lot of work. There was a lot of news about the M40 in October 1987 for some reason. No, the M40 is uh, down. Is like Oxfordshire way, I think. That's sad, Alex. That you know that. Yeah, it's a sign of getting old when you you know where motorways are. <laughs> you know the yeah, motorways. I, you know the motorways. When you go to like events with with your kids, do you have to talk to other dads? You're like, yeah, I took the M1 down. I opted to go on the M42 instead. Yeah. Oh, which which services did you stop at? Yeah, everyone's got favourite services. Did you stop at Toddington? <laughs> so good, oh, yeah. good one there. Oh, we stop at Toddington. Good one there. Uh, Uh, apparently and i highly doubt this because um there's not a lot of facts about this but i found it in one place in october 1987 the first use of military trained dolphins took place by the u.s navy in the persian gulf like actually the use of them the bit that was training dolphins since the 50s there's (laughs) a long history of if you only start using them in 87 37 years later there's a problem but what were they training them to do? I think they find mines. I think they're good at finding mines, dolphins. I mean, in the sea, not like in like, on land. They're not taking them. To... It's like the Hurt Locker, but with dolphins. <laughs> That's why. That's why um, they were spending thirty-seven years trying to get dolphins to just live on land. They could they could sense bombs pretty quickly, <laughs> but they didn't know how to use them in Afghanistan. And I thought for the last bit of knowledge, actually, I'll form it in the style of a quiz question. So. Ooh. October 1987 had the last number one single by any Beatle. What was the song? Uh, was Come it? On, Alex. I don't know. George Harrison. Yes. And um, was it? Um, I was going to say it was on my Lord, but it probably wasn't that. Was it? Yep. Uh, was it? Um, oh, what's the song? Called? Actually, pipped a lot of these songs to higher charts in the UK. This is all on you, Alex. I got my mindset Set on you. I got my mindset. I thought that was like that would be a classic Alex song. Well, it, I, that's what I knew it, but I was trying to I was trying to get the lyrics out of that. We ain't got time for this, Alex. We ain't got time for this. We ain't got time for this. Cut it, cut it out, D. Cut it out. Whole lot of precious time. There we go. There we go. I'll this. cut that bit out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yes, the film we are discussing today, Dirty Dancing, came out, which is a romantic drama written by Eleanor Bergstein, directed by Emil Ardolino. Starring the likes of Patrick Swayze and Jennifer Grey. Of those of you who are unaware, this is the story of Francis Baby Houseman, who is a <laughs> young woman who falls in love with the dance instructor Jerry Kessel um, at a vacation resort for the summer. Now, this film is huge. A film that I thought was you shouldn't watch when I was a child. Every house I feel like had the VHS for this, and I was like, that's a girl's film. Turns out, it's a very good film. What do you guys think? Well, I'm keen to know what Dee has to say, because I've seen this film many times, whereas I think you've only seen it once. Many, many times. Yes, many, many times. Alex used to take a VHS of it to school. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, the suspicions are correct. Again, this is another first time watching it in preparation for this episode. Uh, though it is one of those movies where I felt I I knew it and I'd seen it in references yeah. and other things, and obviously links with the songs tying it all together. 
But honestly, I think bar the final scene, I think most of this movie was actually pretty new to me. I wrote my notes immediately after finishing the, the movie, not expecting to have the time to reflect on my thoughts uh, mm. and let it's the movie simmer for a month or so. So, come on a journey with me. Yes, sir. I'll put my feet up. Unfortunately, great start. As I was watching it, most of the movie did nothing for me. It felt as if the runtime was just steadily ticking over and I wasn't really invested in it. Like, it certainly wasn't aggravating me. It's not like when I watched The Star is Born and I was unhappy watching it. I was just a bit... I just thought the movie was a bit a bit, a bit vanilla. A bit bland, bland okay. is maybe a, a harsh word to use. But yeah, a vanilla okay. sort of that sort of, sort of vibe. But then, and I suppose we'll come to this later in the episode, the final scene starts. Johnny Castle opens the doors to whatever that uh, end of thing's supposed to actually be, the end of season ball or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ball. Have you never been to Butlins? <laughs> I've been to Haven. <laughs> this is like a Tory Butlins. <laughs> uh, yeah, he obviously says the iconic, nobody puts baby in the corner and the music kicks in. And like, suddenly, the whole movie, the whole, everything about this right there in that moment changed. I was suddenly invested, suddenly engaged with what was going on. And... I was loving it. And as the credits rolled, I was a bit rocked. I was sort of just sat there in silence thinking, wait, was, it was, shocked. was that actually... Yeah, well, I was shell-shocked. I was like, <laughs> was it actually good? Yeah. I thought it, was I played? <laughs> the power of the sways. This, this movie, which I thought was like, I don't know, a tad dull, inoffensive, whatever, was actually biding its time and then whacked me over the head with a like a joyous singer-sound <laughs> dance at the end. You had the time of your life. I, yeah, so up to the 85th minute mark, I was thinking, why is this so popular? Then the last five minutes happened, and I and I got it. And I watch I, it all over again. Yeah, I could. Well, I mean, I simply cannot begrudge people for liking this movie. Like it put a smile on my face, and it felt triumphant in the end. So that's a good thing for people to feel. So I can see why people come back to this. I I felt that way. So yeah, I can definitely see why people come back to this movie all these years later. I mean, it's been what a month, month and a half later, and I'm still processing the whiplash I experienced with this movie. It was like the movie was hustling me the entire time. Like it was going, ooh, me, I'm just a normal run-of-the-mill coming-of-age movie from the 80s. <laughs> so yeah, wow. that was my experience with this movie. It was um, it was a journey uh, to go from starting it to ending. But like any good roller coaster, I stepped off happy. So yeah, good, good, good movie. <laughs> wow, what a roller coaster. I mean, that was a review. Um... Yeah, I mean, I like it also. I mean, maybe, and this is it, like, maybe I, I don't know if I didn't like it to begin with or not, because I've seen it so many times now, that it's just, it's just, like, in my consciousness. And it's just like, oh yeah. Everyone likes it, but I think everyone likes it sort of as, like, a... It's it's not quite a cult movie, because I think it's so popular it couldn't mm-hmm. have cult status. But it has that kind of cultish vibe about it, in that it's... Yeah. You're not. It's not. It's not. It's obviously not a great film, and yet it is. I don't. And I don't know. It's just. It's just one of those films that sits in that space where they didn't make it thinking this is going to be a great film, but somehow something about it makes it. I think it's literally. I think it's literally that everyone thought it was just going to be like it was made for nothing by comparison to what it made. It was made on a budget of four point five million, and it made two hundred and fourteen million. Yeah, I mean, I think we've spoken about this show before. There's a show on Netflix called How It Was Made. I think yes, there's an episode, and there's on, an episode on this. Yeah. yeah, which is really interesting because it's just like, how did this film? How did this film end up? How it became? What it became? Because it's just like it was such a mess. Um, 
I mean, the music, I think it helps that the music is great as well. And I think like every time you come back to it, you're like, and, then, and when you hear those songs around, you're like, you instantly recognize them from this film. I think we're going to talk about three specifically, which are for this film, but there's a really great 60s soundtrack to it as well. And oh, that's yeah. one of the odd Incredible. things about the music. Yeah. About the music is that there's like, there's like this weird combination of eight proper like class, like 80s, like, uh, power ballads and like like sixties Motown. It's it's a weird combination, mm. but yeah, it's uh, it's just it's just fun. It's just such a fun film to watch. Yeah. When I was watching some of the scenes back earlier, I think one thing that's really good is like weirdly the chemistry between the two of them seems to be really genuine. But I, I have a feeling, and I don't know if you'll tell us this, but that they really didn't get on on set. Like there was like a real conflict between them. It was it was a previous film, so they got on really well on this set. I think, well, got on much better in but on they this had set. History. But they were in they were in Red Dawn. Have you heard the mm, film Red Dawn? No. They were in that together, and um, it has been a Red Dawn. Yeah, <laughs> Jennifer Grey didn't like Patrick Swayze. Right, 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 right. He wasn't the first choice for the role in the, in this. I mean, I'll go right. on to it who it was, but okay, exciting. It might have been better. <laughs> okay, and I love Patrick Swayze. It's going to be like Kevin Bacon or Keanu Reeves. Or oh, no, no. Better. <laughs> better. Better. Okay. Um, but yeah, I just, I, yeah, it was really interesting hearing Dee's review because I think that kind of sums up my feeling. Like, when I first watched it, I was like, oh, it's just it's just going to be one of those, like, a bit like when you watch some of the other kind of really big 80s films, you're like, yeah, I can, this was, this was big at the time, but I feel like no longer. Is it good? Yeah. Whereas this was like probably never good, <laughs> and that's what makes it really good. <laughs> that's the thing. But that's the thing. It was. It was. Cr- it was critically acclaimed as well. Yeah. yeah I mean, I think but... it's actually there's elements of it that are quite progressive, and I think if you if you say that without explaining much of it, I think people are like what the hell are you on about? It's dirty dancing, um, and I think unfortunately, and has been proven at the time, the name of it did not do it any favors. I think people thought it was a little sleazy porno. And it doesn't really fit the the vibe of the movie generally. I don't really feel like it fits. If if anything, it feels like their footwork is loose and it should have been called Footloose. Mm, yeah, yeah. And in that film, I mean, it, it, it gets quite dirty. And that one should have been called Dirty Dancing. Dirty Kev. <laughs> That's a different film. Dirty Kev would have been a better Dirty film. Kev. Everyone would have gone to the cinema to see Dirty Kev. <laughs> oh, Dirty Bacon. Oh, Dirty Bacon. Yeah, Dirty, dirty bacon. bacon. Yeah, Greasy Bacon. <laughs> Sweaty Bacon. It's David Cameron's autobiography, that, isn't it? <laughs> oh, wow. Wait, That's wait, a deep cut wait. of Bacon. Deep cuts. But yeah, I mean, this film, like, this film has a subplot which is about an illegal abortion. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that would not get through nowadays because, like, there was a lot of... Um, when they were trying to get advertisement rights to this film, you know, Clearasell, the spot company? I am unfortunately aware of it, yes. So they said they would sponsor the film if they took out that scene. Eleanor Bergstein, who wrote the film, said, like, no, I want to keep it in. Like, it's really important. And they did. Like, that would never happen nowadays. Like, you know, people are saying, like, oh, we'll give you money if you cut out, like, what is, could be seen as quite a controversial aspect of the film. People would have just been like, yeah, yeah, take it out. And I think there were other people, there were producers who were like, ooh, this could be problematic, this could not do as well. Um, turns out it got a lot of praise, it got a lot of critical acclaim because of the... It, it's not like um, graphic or in detail, it's like, this person needs an abortion. No one argues with that, they go ahead. It is a botched abortion because of dodgy abortion laws in America, which was quite you know, core to what Eleanor Bergstein wanted to put across. But it's not like ham-fisted. They don't go into talking about, oh, think about the child, which is very common for American movies of like a certain um, area. 
they just kind of go with it. And and I think that's quite powerful in a lot of ways for a film that is from the female perspective. And, you know, it's in, it is a sexualized film, but that's not ever yep. seen as, as, as problematic or wrong. Like, it's just, this is a girl who has, <laughs> for, you know, lack of a better word, she is just quite young, um, sex mad, basically. She's just very attracted to Patrick Swayze, and that's what she's interested in. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, she's uh, she's not seen as like made to be perceived as like um, sleazy or um, wrong for having these kind of thoughts and ideas. And it's just like it is just a fun film, and it doesn't turn into like I this is the love of my life. It just ends, and they move on. It was a summer fling. Boom, boom, boom. But yeah, I think it's a I think it's a good point because I think that that scene as well, like it just grounds what is a fun film in like a in a serious place in a good way, in that it just like yeah, it really ref- is reflecting something within society within like a, a f- wrapped around in kind of just a you know an enjoyable film. Yeah, and like you say, it never mm-hmm. takes over the film, but that scene I think is important for making the, the yeah. film matter or making the story yeah. matter and then make have yeah just just be important where it wouldn't be if she'd have just like injured her ankle or something and she said to replace her. Absolutely, the yeah. whole thing is to set up her taking her place. So they could have yes. done it another way, but yeah. oh yeah. Yeah. It it elevates both their characters as well. Like yeah. you know, how I guess um Swayze's character like supports them and, and doesn't argue with it when I guess the father figure kinda comes down on him and um Jennifer Gray's character by I guess just how she's willing to just support and just go with it. Like, yes, this needs to happen. Yeah, it height yeah. it definitely height it heightens the emotions, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean th- those two got huge critical acclaim for their roles, and I guess just how it was written. I think the writing got a lot of praise. Um, the the biggest praise was the music, which we obviously will focus on. But someone else was touted for the role. Even had test performances, but they, the chemistry was seen as poor with Jennifer Grey or just <laughs> with like... Jennifer Grey. Mm. It was Billy Zane. Oh, <laughs> that would have been better. That would have been better. Billy Zane. It's a cool guy. Dirty, dirty Billy. It's a cool guy. I, d- I don't know what Billy Zane's background is, but they wanted a, someone who could dance. Like, they didn't want it to be like a, a swap out. And Patrick Swayze is like, he's like what martial arts trained. He is, uh, I don't know if he was a professional ballerina, but he was, he went to ballet school. Like, he is, you know, he is a multi-talented person. He can sing, as we will yeah. get onto. And he can act. Like, you know, he'd been in a few films before this, and I think his kind of career took off after this. Like, this propelled him. Like, he had what... He had Roadhouse, then Ghost, Point Break. Like, in, like, three or four years, he was, like, you know, really, really popular. And he is fantastic in this. It, it does bring quite an intensity to this role. I think similar to what you said before, it sort of made some of the characters feel more real. He, he wasn't, like, a like a pretty pretty boy sort of thing. He, he had something about him. He was a professional dancer, and he, he carried that. Yeah, 100%. I think in films where the the role is... Because like, he is there because of his uh, like attractiveness, but he is more than that. And I think a lot of these films, like, and I think it's often the other way around. In, you know, you think of a lot of those sort of like kind of sleazy comedies from like the maybe the late 90s, early noughties, which are often from the male perspective. The female characters are literally nothing other than their physical appearance. Whereas this film, it is from the, the female perspective to kind of, yes, gawk at the attractiveness of Patrick Swayze, but he is still, like, he is both incredibly masculine and quite empathic. Like, you know, he's open to talking about his feelings. I think he cries at one point. It is like, he is more than just that. 
but he can also be very much that as well. Like, you know, it's uh, having your cake and eat it too. Yeah, he can, he can play it both ways. He nice. can play it both ways. Absolutely. As we've kind of alluded to, the Dirty Dancing soundtrack was huge. Like, absolutely huge. We're talking 32 million copies worldwide. Now, if you're wanting to understand, like, perspective, if you don't really know how much that is, this is the 14th best-selling album of all time. Not soundtracks, just albums. Oh, wow. That is that's pretty impressive. <laughs> how ridiculous is that? And yet it took us four years to cover it. Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And it's not like it's like a... You know, there there are a lot of good songs on this one, but it is just... I think it's a, in combination of the film and the soundtrack complemented each other so well. Um, I think as well, like, Dirty Dancing was the first film to hit a million VHS sales. Like, it just dominated all markets at the same time. It's 14 times platinum. It spent 18 weeks at number one, the soundtrack. It was huge. I just, I think as well, like, I think part of it is that like yeah, obviously the popularity of the film, but I think when you watch it, every song on pretty much on that soundtrack has its own moment in the film. And you like you what you you get you see some film soundtracks. You're like, was that was that in that film? Was that yeah, song yeah, in that yeah. film? Whereas with this, I feel like you're like, yeah, I remember when that that song featured in the film. Like every single because probably because there's a lot of dancing, so I guess maybe each each song has its opportunity to shine a little bit. But you do really feel like you remember the scenes that the songs were in, and. Um, yes. And that's why the soundtrack mean again using this word matters, but the soundtrack matters it because it's 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 that is the film. It's like it's almost like a music where you listen to a musical recording, cast recording, and you're like, well, yeah, because I, I get the story from the songs, and you almost do with this in a way that you don't with other film soundtracks. Yeah, absolutely. It is one of those films where the music was picked with in mind with the scenes, like it wasn't just an afterthought of let's put together a cool album. Or we just need that theme song, and like you say, we'll throw in a few random songs over the top. Like it, as they were making it, as they were filming it, they were thinking about what song to go with this. And I think the, a lot of the dance scenes, and we'll go and talk about this a bit. Yeah. The music that was used was played while they were performing. Interesting. So you know, it was all there, very kind of active from the start. So there were four singles released for the film. Three of them are very well known. One extra was just kind of a throwaway, and he's well. Sorry, Mary Clayton, but it's not a good song. So sorry, Mary. See you there. The three we are looking at is "She's Like the Wind" by Patrick Swayze, "Hungry Eyes" by Eric Carmen, and "I've Had the Time of My Life," which is a song we will build up to as the theme song for Dirty Dancing. The first song we're going to talk about is She's Like the Wind by Patrick Swayze. Yes, he does it all. If anyone doesn't know, this is a kind of a soft rock ballad, plays over the goodbye scene at the end of the film. I mean, we're signifying the 80s. It's got a saxophone. It's so sort of sultry sexy. What do you think? It's the best song in the film. (laughs) Do you think? Do you think? (laughs) Yeah, this. I mean, is it the best song of the eighties? Could be. <laughs> I do really. I mean, the first time I saw this film, this was the song that, other than the one that you, uh, at the end where you obviously know it before you see the film. Whereas this one, I was like, "What's this?" And oh my god, it's amazing! And why is it Patrick Swayze? <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of like it's like the Cars. It's 
foreigner it's like 80s genesis it's open top cruising into the orange red and sunset yacht rock yeah it's it's mr toto yeah exactly and it's a vibe it's it's a vibe that i can get on board with i just just love it black and white video the video's great it is, yeah, and he's he's not bad. He's not he's not a bad singer. I mean, he's not great, he's not, but he's really not bad. Not. He's no. not bad. It's very hidden behind like lot of sort of layers of reverb. Yeah, but it's the eighties. Everybody was. Everybody had <laughs> so reverb. Yeah, yeah. Reverb and wind machine. Yeah. This song is big on the Magic FM rotation, yeah. and so it should be. This is an absolute staple of the smooth radio world. Yeah, that sort of it? like yeah, yeah. we we consider ourselves to be a sanctuary of music. <laughs> so it means that this played every 45 minutes <laughs> playing non-stop she's like the wind yeah exactly that was an audition that day i think i think you should, you should get in there <laughs> well i mean all i would play is she's like the wind so like i already have the qualifications <laughs> exactly you're there you what you've got it on cd <laughs> ready to throw in <laughs> it's fair to say that i love 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 <laughs> love love oh, oh. how many loves was that five but it wasn't enough, Not enough. Uh, i love this song it's such an incredibly pure performance from Swayze. It just and it never gets old despite the fact how much he gets played constantly, even though with all these years later it's still as good as it ever was. I knew of the song before I knew it was in the movie, but I have known it was in Dirty Dancing for a while. So when I finally sat down to watch the movie, this was the song I was most excited for. Uh it's like the one I was most anticipating. Like how, how how does this fit in the film? But I actually think in the film it's a bit wasted because it's not quite a montage. It's not quite a background song. It's so. I, mean, I thought this was interesting when you said that the songs were sort of almost handpicked. It, it, this one feels like it was added long after filming. Mm-hmm. Uh, when they heard the recording, were like, "Oh shit, we need this in the movie. This is great. This is our lead, lead. This is our lead star of this film singing this fantastic song. It's it's just completely spoken over. Uh, it's like yeah. um, uh, Con Air when we did Con Air. It's like the vocals of the song and. Uh, the lines of the script are sort of fighting each other f- to be the dominant part when it should have been probably all montage or yep. um, like a longer intro so they could have the chat by the car and then have a a sad sort of brooding montage with this sort of like playing over the top, much like the music video. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, just everything just goes grayscale all of a sudden. Wouldn't that be great? Like, as he's driving off in the car, he um, goes into black and it white. It would have been an interesting um, artistic choice. So, yeah... <laughs> This song was written by Patrick Swayze. <laughs> what was that? Oh, he wow. wrote the song, yeah, alongside wow. someone called Stacy Widelitz. Um, it was not written for this film. He wrote it for another film he was in. Um, he actually wrote the song about J- Jamie Lee Curtis in the film. It was a film called Grandview USA, which I have not heard of. No. I think Patrick Swayze tried it for a few films, apparently. A few people have claimed, like, Patrick Swayze offered us this song. He really wanted it. <laughs> <laughs> he really wanted it. It was someone. It was actually someone on the Joe Rogan podcast, and I forget who it was, but they said, yeah, Swayze tried to get us to take She's Let the Wind. Uh, and no one wanted it. Um, and I don't think that they expected it to go anywhere, really, with this, because of how it's used and how Dee said it. But I think, I guess, Patrick Swayze was just, like, um, catapulted into the stratosphere and so they went with this as one of the singles that was released for this film so the film came out in 87 so it was you know it was written three years prior the man is just so talented um <laughs> so talented. of the three songs we're talking about this one charted the highest in the u.s mm. none of the songs we're talking about got to number one this got to number three it only got to number 17 in the uk alex why is that <sighs> 
because you weren't born yet to buy it. Well, the people who were ready for it weren't born yet. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> it's that thing. You were, you were, you were, you were just a few years yeah, too late. Born in the wrong decade. You were absolutely. But yeah, apparently, like Swayze played the song for the director, so I can just imagine him like. <laughs> by the way, is it like that thing in Jaws where like the actor kept pitching the same line over and <laughs> really? over again every scene? <laughs> Every time there's a scene, it's like, oh, what if we replace time of my life with she's like the wind? Because uh, it's because like, I'm picking her up and it's like a whirlwind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I noticed in that scene we just filmed that there was a little bit of wind. <laughs> <laughs> you brought your own wind machines, Patrick. <laughs> Look at my hair. Um, Windswept. It was funny that I, just as a, as a side fact, um, Patrick says he originally didn't want to take the role because he didn't want to dance. Like, he, I think he had a bad knee. Like, if you've seen that uh, Netflix doc, Alex, he had, like, a really bad knee. I think he yeah. injured himself just before the yes. final take for The Last Dance. I think he, I think he jumps off the stage, doesn't he? And I think he really hurt himself because he already had a bad knee. Yeah, but, but was it... I mean, I might be misremembering this, but isn't this part of the reason why they filmed that scene in the water? In the water? Yeah, there's a lot of stuff like this. I think he was like, he's made a cast or something like that, yeah. But yeah, I mean, this is a, this is a great song. Um, I don't think it's the best song. I won't go that far, but you know, he left us a lot in his legacy. Patrick Swayze he was taken too early from us all. Tiny bonus fact that I really don't care about, but I was slightly thought was slightly interesting. The guitarist on this, Lauren Schuber from Wings. There you go. <laughs> Why I don't know. <laughs> Just is. Just is. Yeah, absolutely. No one else from Wings. Okay, in my eyes, we're working up. We're working up to the theme, but this one, now this one, is a Stone Cold classic. Hungry Eyes, performed by Eric Carmen, the American musician Eric Carmen, um, formerly of the band The Raspberries. So this song, again, was a feature not written for this film, but we hear it during one of the, uh, should we say, the undercover dance sessions between Gray and Swayze. Yeah. This is, again, this has a lifeblood of its own inherently linked to Dirty Dancing, but it's an absolute banger in its own right. What do we think? Yeah, I mean, first of all, it has to be said, it's another absolute magic, smooth radio classic. This is yeah. always oh, on. Yeah. It's a, uh, yeah. yeah, and like you say, it's it's a staple of the British advertising uh, board. Yes, 100%. I, I don't know why. There, there must be a universal rights sharing agreement with this. I can see why. I love this song. It's another great song. Two for two on this film so far. And I think it's also... A good montage, and I said this. I thought I was supposed to mention this earlier, but like I really appreciate that it's not a they're falling for each other montage. It's a very I'm a serious dancer, and this is very serious. Yeah, learning, Stop yeah, yeah, fucking yeah. about intensity <laughs> that I think many professional dancers probably do have. Mm-hmm. Again, this is another another scene where Patrick Swayze. Should I be calling him Johnny Castle? Yeah, you can, you can call him whatever you want. <laughs> Just call him Swayze. Call him Daddy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, maybe, because my point is going to be, if I could rock that tight black tank top like Swayze does in this montage, I would be a very happy man. Christ, he looks oh, so yeah. good in You'd this. you never wear any, anything else. <laughs> yeah, and something, you do. Well, I guess it did in the sense that I sort of looked at my own body and went, what a waste. <laughs> yeah, God, <laughs> what a waste. <laughs> you know, it took me years. The first time I ever saw Patrick Swayze was in Donnie Darko, and he is not, he's not flattered in that one. <laughs> Um, so it took me years to realise oh this was why this is the one I'm supposed to learn about (laughs) this was where I was supposed to have my awakening (laughs) Um, come on Al I don't think I don't think I knew 
going into it that this song was from this film. I just knew this song already. Mm. It's just a separate 80s classic song. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I know you said like it yeah. is very much tied. Once you get into the world of Day Dancing, you know this song is very much tied to this film. You know, in comparison to the final song, which is obviously very, very linked to this film. Even if you've never seen the film, you know the song is from this film. Yeah. I didn't with this one. Okay, okay. Um, so it was a nice surprise to see it pop up in the middle when it's like selling selling those albums out. Yeah, well, exactly. Yeah, and it's um, such a good montage scene. I think uh, this is the first '80s song that appears in the film, isn't it? Yes. So it is slightly jarring mm. in that up until this point you've just had a lot of kind of like yeah like, so yeah. like 60s motown surfer songs yes yeah 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 you got like the ronettes and stuff like that isn't it yeah it's not jarring it, it fits perfectly but it's just it's the first time you see that blending of like oh yeah this is an 80s mm. movie but just set yeah. in the 60s or 50s, yeah. late 50s it's, it's so. a really interesting point that because i think eleanor bergstein who wrote the film had a lot of say in the film and, cre- and creative choices um, I think there was elements of it that were based on her youth, but she wanted a lot of the music to have a 60s feel. And I guess we'll go on to that because there's a relation to that with the next song. But um, I guess that, you know, they went and did their own stuff, but I think uh, there were, that was a general creative choice to give it a 60s feel. And I guess because she, yeah. she was probably writing about maybe a, a similar period. Yeah. Yeah, that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. When you think of this song, do you think of the, like, noughties or late 90s dance remix? I don't know this one. Hungry Eyes Dance Remix. This is the one you sang at the start. Uh, no, that one, that was Black Eyed Peas. That was Black Eyed Peas. Oh my god, I just realised we didn't talk about. She's like the winds uh, that uh, Lumidee's version. I don't know. I don't know if I know it. Oh. I'm gonna. Have, I'm gonna. Have, I'm gonna be doing a deep dive. I have not done my uh, Euro Beats re- research like I do for my <laughs> Disney episodes. Oh well, I can't believe we did that. Yeah. So um, she's like the wind by by Lumidee. It, it it needs a listen. Right. I look it up. I look it up. Hello postpone my evening after this <laughs> um question eric carmen do we know his other big hit uh boys of summer no no it's not boys it's of dj summer. sammy <laughs> <laughs> so a lot earlier so basically his career kind of like stagnated until this song but um all by myself from the 70s oh, you know that one don't wanna be what's a bigger song uh, What's ooh. a more iconic song? Because that song is yeah, that, that that's the that's the sad crying song while it's raining yeah, in a film, yeah, isn't yeah. it? That's the song. I think that's probably been used more in films. I mean, it's two that's it's two bangers, isn't it? Though, <laughs> I mean, if those are the only two songs you're gonna have, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so this song was written by Frankie Previtt and John DeNicola, who wrote a few of the songs for this film, but they didn't write it for this the film. So they wrote it in 1984 similar to when Swayze wrote his. Yeah. Um, but Previtt originally wrote it for his band. I think he was the bass player for his band called Frankie and the Knockouts <laughs> for the album <laughs> Making the Point. And then he, I, for some reason, Amazing. like he was writing the songs for Dirty Dancing, obviously had connections, but then asked Eric Carmen to sing it. Carmen didn't want to do it initially. I think like he'd moved from like LA to like Ohio. Like he'd basically just given up, like I'm no longer a musician and was just kind of, you know, I guess probably just living off the... Uh, the credits of his earlier work but he knew the um the producer on dirty dancing was a producer from his earlier works so he contacted eric carmen like oh do you want to do this um frankie previtt knew uh, eric carmen as well they put it forward originally eric carmen said that it sounded like and i don't know if you feel this he said the song sounded like air supply with a led zeppelin drummer 
I mean, it sounds like air supply. Uh, that doesn't yeah. Really yeah, I don't know John yeah. Bonham. John Bonham on an air supply song. Um, but he was saying that as a negative. Okay. Yeah, he thought basically that he didn't want to do a soundtrack. He just said soundtracks don't do well. I don't know what pipe he was smoking, what pine forest he was walking through. <laughs> but um, he went ahead with it and basically said like this reinvigorated his entire career. Like he became a musician again. I think these words were like, now I'm an artist again. <laughs> um, so you know, gosh, it got, it, I, I don't know whether you consider that luck or just fortuitous or pure nepotism, but you know, it's all about who you know. From, from what you said, it strikes me as the kind of thing where this soundtrack does really well, and it's like that was because of my song. That's because of me. Yeah, yeah, it does sound like that a bit, doesn't it? I mean, this song was not even released in the UK, so it peaked at number four on the Billboard Hot 100, uh, one lower than Patrick Swayze. But um, yeah, it wasn't even released commercially in the UK. I think when there was a re-release like years later, it made it's like number 88 or something in the charts. But yeah, it just wasn't even released, which is just ridiculous. But did the dance remix get to number one? I don't know, Dee. I'm sorry. I didn't research that. I'm on it. I'm on it. (laughs) That got to number 16. 16. Well, it got higher. Are we ready to move on? I think I'm ready for the time of my life. Yeah. Probably one of the most iconic movie songs of all time. Dare I say? Mm. And scenes. And and scenes, yes, true. So we are talking about open bracket, I've had, close bracket, respect the bracket, Mm -hmm. the time of my life performed by Jennifer Wands and Bill Medley. This is the theme song for the film Dirty Dancing. It features during the climactic dance scene in which baby, I mean, she's not taken from a corner. They are nowhere near a corner. She's next to a pillar slightly. It's a metaphorical corner, Ben. Come on. Um, she might have been boxed in. She'd been boxed in. She was slightly boxed, boxed in, in by her father, but she could still get out. I think if she needed the bathroom, she could have scooched. There was enough Do you room. like the fact that um, as soon as she stands up, that her mum instantly takes a seat without any explanation? Really? <laughs> the camera cuts back and she's, for some reason, the mum's in her seat suddenly. She's in the corner. <laughs> I like how they just it's like it's hilarious things of where like, everyone's uh, opinions just instantly change because like wow that boy can dance. <laughs> wow, won over by the power of dance. I care now. Your dancing made me care. <laughs> I care, Morty. Exactly. You made me care more. <laughs> what was I saying now? It is. It, I make it funny. I, I make, it makes me laugh when uh, those things happen. Though. Like now, wow, I can see you basically having a uh, dancing sex with my door, and now I think I have respect for you. This is one of the most iconic movie scenes of all time. The song is absolutely huge. What do we think? Just where do you even start? Where do you start? It's where do you start? I mean, what do you think of the scene? What do you think of how it's used? Then and, and that kind of you know the the this iconic moment. Do you think it is? Do you think it's an iconic moment? It, yeah, I guess just in yes. the sense that they inherently links. Do you think it's like? Is it more like the song just kind of takes it away and you're like, oh, that's that dance scene, but you can't actually remember much about it other than the lift? No, I think you remember it. I think you remember all, I remember all the dance scene. I think maybe because you've seen it parodied a few times as well, but you just remember it. I mean, my favourite bit is when he jumps off the stage and is dancing with the crowd and she's just like awkwardly stood there on the stage kind of watching it. And it's like, I don't know if they thought that part through, but yeah. The whole thing is just like you know the little heads sh- uh, shake side to side that she does in the middle. It's it's just it's all mm. it's all all of it is like like yeah yeah just that yeah. part where you see like just his when he does jump off the stage and it's just his upper body like swaying side to side. Yeah, I mean yeah, that's just yeah, an yeah. iconic shot in itself as well. 
anyone else does that jump, it looks incredibly hilarious. He makes it, looks it work. very busted. <laughs> it, does, it does, doesn't it? It does, absolutely. It very slow motion schools out. But yeah, I, I mean, God, I don't even know where you begin. I think it, if you... I mean, obviously there are lists of the greatest ever movie songs, but I think if you if you change that list slightly and made it more like um, iconic movie songs or something like that, then this probably would be really close to the top, rather than you know like AFI's best movie songs where they're like yeah like, yeah yeah well yeah yes yeah. it's everything from like 1950 pre yeah if it was voted for by movie audience like a movie audience this would be like t- it could be top <laughs> it, it would be, be top yeah, it would absolutely. be top ten. The general British public, this would probably be top five, I think. Well, yeah, I mean, who hasn't been on a night out where it's ended with the song blasting? Or, or, or someone attempting to lift someone up above their head. Yeah. <laughs> and dropping them comically. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. It's a lot of strength. D, what do you think? All I can really do here is rehash what we've already said. Is this where you, is this where you changed? Is this where you like shifted? You, you were infected with this film? Yeah, so the scene is just fantastic and it flipped the entire movie for me. Uh, I've written this word down like six times in my notes. Triumphant. It's just the entire thing is triumphant. It's eighty-five minutes of build-up that's actually <laughs> paid off with a rem- like a remarkably memorable moment. Um, Fair. I mean, I do like the sort of the sincerity of the song. I guess you either love it genuinely or ironically. It's either in your Spotify playlist or it's a song that even if you don't like the style of music, if a DJ plays it at three AM, you're singing it. You yeah. know the words. You're having the time of your life, Ben. I think it builds. Oh, I just love the build-up of it. I mean, it's, it is cheesy as sin. It's all rise. <laughs> that bass line is just... That bass line is absolutely stellar. It is cheesy, but, like, you can't really fight against the sentiment no, you can't, of, well, like, no, the song. It, it, yeah. you, you're having the time of your life. Yeah, like, yeah. that would be great to experience. But, yeah, I mean, and yeah. the song's fine in the sense that we've just had two great songs, and then this one is also good, but maybe not quite the heights of those so okay, i feel like okay, okay. at that point in the film i've already heard two really good well i know it's more than that sorry but in terms of this podcast we've just heard two really good songs and this yeah. is sort of a good song okay 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 yeah i'm in sort of agreement in that i think if i was going to listen to any of these songs on my own it would be the first two in the the, the reverse if, order sways if. first <laughs> as if he doesn't do this all the time you know when i when i put on my playlist on shuffle one they automatically go on first and second he's got the he's got the heels on it's saturday night he's, he's which one's going on first but i do really love this song as well it, it's more it's a different vibe in that it's just like it's just an all-out party anthem yeah, it, and, I think um, that's what it is. It is a part. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think it is like it's just it builds and builds and builds and builds, and it's just like it just hits you in all the feels in the right places and gets you g'd up. Just yeah. emotional. Do you want a few, fa- few facts? A few facts. Um, absolutely. Yes, please. Okay, so obviously the big one. This was the winner of the 1987 Oscar for Best Original Song. Was it? It was indeed. Yes, D- Dirty Dancing won an Oscar. That does surprise me. It won the Golden Globe for Best Original Song. It also won a Grammy, but who cares? Because it was just stupid. It was like duo performance from, I don't know, a film from 1987 starring Patrick Swayze. Best shoulder movement in a dance. Yeah. I'm going to say something here which comes up a lot, and I think we've already mentioned it. So Frankie Prever, who we talked about, who also wrote Hungry Eyes, when he was first approached to write like a theme song for this movie, he was like, why are you asking me to write a theme song for a porno? <laughs> <laughs> everyone repeatedly how did they not change the name of the film repeatedly turned down this film because it sounded like they were, they were porno it was just it, yeah. it's ridiculous how often this was said so Prevert wrote the lyrics for the song the music was written by John DeNicola and Donnie, uh, Donald Markovitz there was a lot of different songs it doesn't go into them in detail but there was a lot of different songs that were 
debated for this scene. So they knew the theme of the film is going to be played over this scene. There's a lot of pressure building up to this climax. So, you know, Swayze and Grey dancing. And they were literally playing them on set. Like, I think this was the last scene filmed. They were running low on time. And it was literally not even the final version, the uh, Bill Medley, Jennifer Wern's version. It was a demo that they played on a tape. And the choreographer picked the music. Like, it was in combination with the director, but the choreographer, he's quite a famous choreographer. His name's Kenny Ortega. He's done a lot of films. Oh, High School Musical. Oh, has he? There you go. Why do I have that knowledge off the top of my head? That's <laughs> yeah, weird. It's, it's a lot of value, that dude. It was one of those things where you didn't initially catch me off guard, and then I went to look at my notes and was like, what did he say? <laughs> what was that? <laughs> um, <laughs> like I, it's like a double a double auditory take. Never never changed, dude. this together. Got to think about it. Husky Musical is very similar to Dirty Dancing. Let's 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 park that one. Just just replace abortion with basketball championship game. <laughs> There's wow, so many the so place. many ways that could be misconstrued. We'll leave that. We'll leave it. it gets into a lot of trouble. We'll leave it. So they performed to this song, a demo version of this song. I think it was sang by like Frankie Prevett and people like this. It's not the gravelly voice of Bill Medley. It was not. No, the, yeah, it's a beautifully gravelly voice. No one heard the final version until the film came out, but they performed to a version of that, which I always thought when I first saw it, I thought wasn't the case because I felt like the choreography didn't quite match, but they probably had the choreography for probably weeks. I guess you have to practice, practice, practice. You can't just do it on the set. Well, Patrick Swayze said this was the, his favourite of all the choices. I don't know what the other choices were, but apparently as soon as this tape went in, they were like, oh yeah, this is the one. Um, and like I say, you're not even you're not even linking that to the big names. Uh, well, I say you know the big name of Bill Medley. You are just picking it based on pure musicality alone. It's not like mm. oh, this is you know this is a an Elton John song. This is a Beatle. It's not like the it's name recognition. It's just wow, this is a good song. This fits, and it does it does fit. I mean, we just talked about that. Some of the different singers that were first considered, Lionel Richie. Would have worked well. Yeah. Joe yeah. Esposito, Donna Summer. The latter two turned it down for why? Porno. Ah, uh, porno again. <laughs> Literally, Donna Summer and Joe Esposito turned it down because they said, I don't want to be linked to a film called Dirty Dancing. <laughs> After that, Hall of Notes. I mean, come on, that why was it not Hall of Notes? Can you imagine the Hall of Notes version? Yes, it'd be great. Absolutely. The next logical place was Bill Medley. So we've got Bill Medley of the Righteous Brothers fame. He turned it down. Why do we think? Because it sounded like it was a porn film. I like a bad porno movie, that's what he said. So originally he turned it down. Wait, had it been a good porno, he would have been up for it. <laughs> no, he, well, yeah, he had his little private collection. He had to watch it first. <laughs> yeah. He, he did have a daughter about to be born, but he also said, yeah, I'm not doing a song for that film. I think he'd just done a film... I think it might was um, Cobra. You know the film Cobra with um, Sylvester Stallone? No. Oh, it's a terrible <laughs> schlocky action film. He did a song for that. <laughs> did not go down well. The first person to come on board was Jennifer Werns. She was convinced by her boyfriend, basically, to take the cash because she was going to turn it down as well. Her condition that she would sing if they got Bill Medley again. So someone obviously told her that he was considered. They said, I'll sing if you get Bill Medley. I think he was one of her idols. When they went back to Bill, he said that she he liked the sound of her voice doing a demo. 
he said he'd do it. His only condition was that they performed in Los Angeles, which makes me think, like, I ain't going anywhere else. I think a lot of the recording was done in Ohio. And he was like, no, 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 you come to me. I'm Bill Medley. (laughs) You want the medley. You come to me. You come to the Midmeister. Um, And yeah, I do like this. And I think this is, I, I think this is quite common, but they sang the song while watching the scene. So they had the final version of the film of that dance scene and oh, they right, sang yeah. over it to give it, I guess, an element of the, the relationship, the back and forth between the two characters. And they said that really helps the blend and the balance and the build-up of their voices. Yeah, it, it helps with like the crescendo, doesn't it? Like They know what, know when to hit the highest part of the song. Yeah. You know when to come in, don't you? You know, it, it does work. It is so famous. It is so iconic. The... Song only got to number six in the UK, though. Travesty. As we've talked about, uh, there was a certain Beatle that was topping the charts uh, that week. <laughs> similar, so- so- similar song, to be fair. Yeah. Um, this one did get to number one in the US, but then it had a massive drop-off for some reason. It seemed like as soon as the album came out, everyone was just album sales. Yeah. You know, everyone just went straight to buy the album, and that was it. But, yes, this is a historic movie song. Yeah, and presumably the Black Eyed Peas did justice to it by probably getting it to number one everywhere in the world. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Dirty bit. Top five. Since we talked about this album being the top 14 albums of all time, by looking up that up, I've also seen what are the top five soundtracks of all time. So I'm asking you guys, what are the top five soundtracks based on sales? Uh, Grease. Yeah. Grease is number five. Whoa. Dirty Dancing. Dirty Dancing is number three. Uh, Sound of Music. Nope. Uh, Saturday Night Fever. Sorry, Grease is number four, not five. Uh, Saturday Night Fever, yes, is number two. Ooh. So you're doing well, you're doing well. So you got three. Um, so you got one and five. Number one is apparently rumoured to be the third biggest selling album of all time. Oh. Is it a musical? Are any of the musicals? It's or not, they... no. I'd say, don't think of the film, think of the person that... Is it Phil, Co- is it Phil Collins? It's not Phil, <laughs> Phil Collins, the third biggest selling album of all time. Is it Michael Jackson? No. Good, good shout, though. Obviously, the number one biggest selling album of all time. I don't know. Beyonce? Uh, 1992. Queen? No. Who wants to Terrible film. <laughs> The big what's what, what you know it, it, oh, if they perform this song on X Factor the song list they always go big song oh bodyguard 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 yeah bodyguard Whitney Houston's bodyguard yeah. number five nineteen ninety seven Space Jam <laughs> <laughs> everybody get up and slam um Lion King no someone who has unfortunately had to cancel her tour recently because of illness um, we've covered it already on this podcast uh, is it Celine oh is it Celine Dion it's Celine Dion Titanic, Titanic? Yeah. Has she had to cancel at all? She, yeah, she's got a very rare degenerative disorder, unfortunately. She's losing her voice. Oh, man. I was actually looking at getting tickets the other day. Yeah, no, man. I think she's cancelled the full tour. Yeah, she's got a very, very rare disease. Oh, wait, no, I'm thinking of Shania Twin. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I was about to say, like, Dee's getting some deal tickets. I was sick of saying that. Well, I was trying to say, tell myself, I was like, is it weird that Dee's going to see Celine Dion? <laughs> Fair enough, if you want. So now it's time to decide what is the best song, but I kind of feel like we've already sort of answered this during the episode. So, Alex... I don't know. Alex, what's your favourite song? I mean, my favourite song is She's Like The Wind. 
Yeah. <laughs> just generally, not even for the film. <laughs> Period. Yeah. Best song. <laughs> Favourite song. I'm, I'm, I'm completely the same. <laughs> completely the same. Ben? Hey, I'll, I'll always have to say I've had the time of my life. I yeah, just think it's fair. just... I can't, it's the I most can't iconic. Be, I can't ever consider myself a film snob if I push this film song aside. Yeah, it's the most iconic. In fact, actually, a film snob would push this song aside. You know what? It's a song that you've never heard of that's on the album. <laughs> well, it lost her. She's like the wind, anyway. It's, yes, it's it's the it's, it's the fourth single. Strange. It's the fourth <laughs> single. What's it? What did I say it was called? Yes, by Mary Clayton. There you go, Mary. <laughs> Perfect. So that brings in to another episode of that song from that movie. Let us know on Twitter which song you think is the best from Dirty Dancing. Now that Paul's apparently still working. Woo. Um, so on Hive, Instagram, and Twitter, Ben, what is our social media handle? Uh, at TSFTM Pod. Correct. Not sure why you were so worried. Um, so you can also help the podcast by sharing this on Reddit. But Alex, what random subreddit should I share it on this week? Um, once again, it's the uh, Wings subreddit. <laughs> Tenuous. We are big fans of the wing, Wings subreddit on this podcast. We're always sending people there. We're always sending people there. So you can also help the podcast by signing up to our Patreon, buying some of our merch, telling all your friends about the podcast, anything like that, it's leaving us a five-star review. All the links are in the show notes. So all that's left now is do some goodbyes. So it's goodbye from myself, goodbye, and goodbye from Alex. I carried a watermelon. <laughs> good callback and goodbye from Ben Roadhouse <laughs> yeah, see that's how you do it Alex yeah I'm not good at this <laughs> <laughs> so goodbye everybody bye see you Roadhouse <laughs> House Roadhouse Okay, so the first song. Ow, oh, I just kicked a, I kicked the knob off my kicked it off my wardrobe. Don't remember that one. Oh, that's annoying. Alright, my fault.